Welcome to the Aerospace Engineering Podcast. My name is Reiner Grobe, Research Fellow of the Royal Academy of Engineering, and on this podcast I have conversations with aerospace pioneers about new technologies at the cutting edge of aerospace design and research. Special thanks go to my supporters on Patreon, who make this podcast possible. If you enjoy the Aerospace Engineering Podcast and would like to support it, then head over to patreon.com forward slash aerospace. There are multiple levels of support, but pledging even a dollar an episode is highly appreciated. Thanks for your support. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Griffin, uh... Alexander Wicks is the Chief Development Officer at the California-based startup Momentus Space. Momentus is developing the in-space equivalent of the connecting flight we all know from airline operations. To affordably launch small satellites into orbit, operators and manufacturers of small satellites are generally forced to share a ride on one big rocket. This approach is economical but has one major downside. Not every satellite on the rideshare can be launched into its ideal orbit. Momentus is developing the transfer vehicle that then allows the satellite to reach its ideal and customizable orbit 10 times cheaper than booking a dedicated launch on the first vehicle. This capability essentially allows the next generation of satellites to reach previously unreachable locations more efficiently and more inexpensively than before. The transfer vehicle that Momentus is developing is powered by water plasma propulsion, and the same propulsion technology also opens the door to the next phase of space exploration. For example, missions into deep space, water prospecting and delivery throughout the solar system, in-space manufacturing, and space tourism. So in this episode of the podcast, you'll learn about how Momentus got started, the need and benefits of their transfer vehicle, the principles of water plasma propulsion, the types of missions that technology enables, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. But now, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Alexander Wicks. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Raina. Um, glad to be here. So before we start talking about uh, Momentus, would you mind tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? So how did you become interested in engineering and how has your career evolved to where you are today? So um, I, I think I've always been interested in 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 technology and flying things. And uh, my my dad worked in the space agency um, and, and used to bring posters of uh, space missions home. And I think that that kind of normalized space and, and probably grew grew the initial spark. Um, I went on and did uh, after school. I went on and did an aerospace engineering degree and um, and did a little bit of um, aviation uh, landing aid type maintenance during my industrial year and then once i finished university i uh i tried a six-month stint with a space company called space innovations limited in in newbury they used to build um small 50 to 100 kilo spacecraft and subsystems and uh from there i i got some experience and i really enjoyed the job and uh and kind of stayed on in the industry um i've I spent most of my 20 years working on, on spacecraft. 
great. So now you work for a company called uh, Momentus, and I'm I'm curious. So how did Momentus start, and um, what has the company set out to achieve? Yeah, so Momentus started um, just over two years ago, um, not not that long ago, and it's uh, it was founded by Mikhail Kokoric, who is a uh, serial entrepreneur who's who started with a few very big uh, companies in Russia and then founded their first commercial space company called Daria Aerospace. Um, eventually he left and came to the States. And with Momentus, he, um, he had the dream of supporting um, space transport. And essentially, if we'd, you know, eventually we'll have these tugs that, that support mining and, and various industrial activities in space. And it, in order to do that, you, you really can't be transporting fuel from Earth uh, constantly. And so you have to make use of in situ resources. And, and that's where the water comes in for us. And, and water is, um, it's, it's kind of momentous as religion and, and the, uh, a kind of uh, a fundamental part of, of our company in, in the sense that that's what we use for all our propulsion systems. Um, so Mikhail took the uh, microwave electrothermal thrusters um, with, a, with a couple of engineers, um, took that from the realms, the, the low TRL levels that they've been in, in academia for, for a few decades and, and made the first flying uh, flight worthy version that we're actually flying right now. Um, it got launched last year in July. And, um, and, but, but in order to get to these space tugs, which are, you know, space industry isn't developed enough that that'll come you know in 10 20 years or so um we we need we need a to develop the technology to to support those kind of uses and uh, and b we need to develop the funding and so we have a series of smaller steps that get us there and and so that that brings us to where we are today which is uh where we're building and getting ready to launch in december um our first um space transport vehicle, which will be, um, which will take spacecraft from one low Earth orbit to another. All right. So in terms of kind of like developing these steps, could you um, describe perhaps, you know, what the incentive is? Why would you want to take a, a spacecraft and transport it from, let's say, you know, a low Earth orbit to geostationary orbit? Why, why is that such a kind of like an enticing business proposition? Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, primarily it's financial. Um, we, it's um, what we're doing is we're, we're changing the model of space transport. So you know, on Earth, multimodal transport and uh, kind of hub and spoke systems are, are very common. You know, so if you if you wanted to fly from um, if you wanted to, to to fly from Oxford to San Jose and you, you took a direct flight, that would cost you a lot of money. But if you take a, um, if you, if you take a, a short flight from Oxford to London or, or a taxi from Oxford to London and then fly from London to San Jose, you, you leverage this cheap flight between London and San Jose. And so that's kind of what we do. We, we, we provide that connecting flight. Um, so by, if, if you look at the launch cost of going on a small dedicated vehicle, the, the cost per kilo are in the orders of, you know, tens of thousands of dollars per kilo. Now, SpaceX, um, it, it, 
the cost is down to several thousand dollars per kilo. And that, that'll be coming down even lower over the next few years. And so what we do is we piggyback spacecraft on top of us and we take advantage of these large, cheap launch opportunities that may not be going where you want to go, but they get close. And so then we take you that last mile from where the launch vehicle went to, to actually where you wanted to go. All right. So if am I correct that what is currently done is that a lot of these smaller satellites are packed together in one big launch vehicles, and then they basically ride chair up to, let's say, low Earth orbit. And then this is where kind of a vehicle provided by Momentus would come in and basically then take one of these or multiple of these satellites and actually transport them into their dedicated ideal orbit. Yeah, exactly. That, that's exactly what we're doing. So, so right now, it's, uh, we're doing transfers between, um, between low Earth orbits. You know? So, for example, a launch vehicle, um, you know, a big rideshare might be taking you to a 600-kilometer uh, sun-synchronous orbit at 6 a.m. And we would then provide um, a transfer to a similar sun-synchronous orbit, maybe 800 kilometers at 8 a.m. And that, that kind of transfer would be, you know, that to put that kind of propulsion onto a small spacecraft really changes the nature of your spacecraft. And so we, we take that all out of your hands and just provide you the ride. And so then people can just focus on on the actual, um, you know, the, the utility, the operational side of what, what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. And so in, in terms of kind of, you know, developing a, a, a capability that, you know, is basically this kind of connecting flight in space. What are some of the technical challenges that you need to kind of like overcome? What are some of the, the key design drivers that drive the, the engineering? Yeah, well, we have we have uh, really two, two sets of challenges. Um, I think one is innovation and invention. Um, so here, the work we've done on microwave um, electrothermal thrust as METs has been really to drive the technology. And we have, um, you know, we have about 60 people in the company, and I think about 15 of them have, have PhDs. Um, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of work going on in there, you know, developing uh, nozzles that don't melt. The, the plasma um, in these systems can be hotter than the surface of the sun. And, and so, you know, con containing that without melting the whole thruster is, is um, you know, one of the problems you, ne you need to achieve. And, but it's not only the thruster itself uh, or the nozzle, it's also its power supply, the RF generation, um, or all these other aspects take, take a certain amount of inventiveness. And then the other aspect is also um, just lowering the cost of everything. So there, there are a number of systems um, that are commoditized in the market. So if you want to buy a, an onboard computer or a sun sensor, you often don't need to build those yourself. There's, there's many choices. They're very good. There's all kinds of flavors. But there are, there are also systems that aren't commoditized and that are extremely overvalued. So we've kind of systematically gone through those and we bring those in-house and we look how, how we can develop those cheaply. So those are kind of technical problems of our own making. We, uh, we you know, and, and largely often it's mechanisms that we have to end up developing in-house. Hmm. Fascinating, it's great. So um, you've basically mentioned this focus on, on water before 
And so the, the kind of like your key working principle that you're using is water plasma propulsion. So why is this technology specifically suited to your application? And, you know, so basically what are some of the benefits of, of using water plasma propulsion? And of course, you know, how, how does it actually work? Okay. Um, yeah, so the benefits, um, if we look at the performance of METs, they lie somewhere between chemical and electric propulsion. Um, in terms of the ISP, so the, the kind of mass efficiency, and in terms of um, the thrust itself. And so, um, you know, rockets use chemical propulsion because they need, it's a lower, lower efficiency, but they need the thrust. And a lot of spacecraft use electric propulsion. Well, we're aggregating spacecraft. So it makes sense that our propulsion systems would sit somewhere in between. And so um, it's that basic property that makes METs very good for, um, for these space tug uh, applications. In terms of water and, 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 and other aspects of how it's ideal, um, you know, a lot of the cost with propulsion system is also operational cost. So if, if, you, um, if you look at um, traditional propellants like hydrazine, uh, guys have to wear hazmat suits. It, it's an incredible complication when it comes to um, integration and testing of the spacecraft and even launch. So our systems um, run on water and it's, it's uh, either unpressurized or pressurized at very low pressures. So you, you don't have the pressure issue. If there's a leakage, you know, water is not exactly harmful to you. Um, we've actually transported our systems on a plane um, fully loaded, which is is, is not something um, many other spacecraft propellant people can say. So it's it, it's inherently safe, and that brings down our costs as well. And in terms of kind of like this, the idea of deep space exploration, or you know, a tugging vehicle vehicle for deep space. So how renewable? is you know water as a as a as a fuel so if you let's say do a deep space mission um you know how ubiquitous would it be or how easy would it be to regenerate um your source of fuel well the, there are companies looking at that um we're we're certainly not looking addressing that right now um it 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 does seem that where people might want to go there is often water there is definitely an abundance of water in space um so so there are still you know there, there are still some hurdles to be tackled but um i think you know we're, we're on step one right now which is to to develop these systems to commercialize them make them low cost and that these are basics that you need for the infrastructure and, and as we get closer to being able to utilize these resources, then, then we'll start to tackle that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So maybe this is kind of like a, you know, a, a simple question, but, you know, if, if I think back to kind of like my basic, you know, propulsion equations and, and the rocket equation, you know, there's this kind of like conservation of momentum that underlies everything where you, you chuck some, some mass out the back at a certain velocity, and then you basically move in, in, in the opposite direction. So when I, when I see this term kind of like water plasma propulsion, you know, first of all, it's very difficult for me to imagine, okay, you know, what does the what is the plasma actually doing here and of, and also what is providing the propulsion so could you perhaps explain what actually is being ejected out of out the back of this propulsion system to provide thrust mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, so the the way it works, and I'm I, I'll um, I'll in, I'll pre preface this by saying I am not a propulsion engineer, but so I'll give you a, a layman's explanation. But essentially, the, the way our, our systems work is that um, we inject a, a water vapor into a cavity where we also have, um, we've set up a, a standing RF wave in this cavity. And so just in front of the nozzle is a high, high field area. So the water vapor goes into the chamber, it swirls around a little bit and eventually gets close to the nozzle where this high field is and it gets heated up. Um, to, to very high temperatures, thousands of kelvins. And at that point, um, you, you know, you, you get um, the, the, the water can turn into a plasma, uh, can dissociate. Um, and that, that's where you get, um, that's where you get the, the kind of breakdown. And uh, due to this high pressure, the water comes out the nozzle. So it's not, it's not like typical electric propulsion systems where you, um, where you magnetically, uh, electromagnetically uh, accelerate the particles. Here, it's really an electro electrothermal um, system. So we're just heating up the water a lot and expelling it out the back. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. Okay. That that definitely clarifies things because I I was basically wondering exactly you know what is the relation to the kind of like this classic magnetic drive where you know you, many people have heard of these ion thrusters where a magnetic field is is kind of like set up to accelerate ions right. in space and kind of like thrust them out the back. But as I understand this, this is slightly different in that it's essentially just your or you know, you're heating water up to very high temperatures and pressures. And then that is basically kind of like um, exposed, you know, it comes out the back through a nozzle. And then that, that's what provides the propulsion. Exactly. The, um, you know, the plasma itself is, it's almost a byproduct. It's, it's not something we're necessarily um, trying to achieve. It's just a, a result of heating the water up so much. So then, you know, depending on, on the power levels we're talking about, what comes out of the nozzle could be hydrogen, could be oxygen, it could be um, electrons, it could be charged particles. There's, there's a whole mix of things that come out. Um, the, the water basically comes out in, in various states depending on, on the power levels we're using. Mm -hmm. Great. So in terms of this kind of like initial service that you're providing or that you want to provide in terms of, you know, this transfer vehicle within a low Earth orbit, how would that actually work in, in, in practice? So does your vehicle, um, does it get launched alongside a satellite uh, in, on one kind of like big rocket or is your transfer vehicle already in orbit and then basically docks with the satellite as it leaves um, a big, a, a bigger rocket? You've, you just described our roadmap. So apparently <laughs> it's the first thing you said, <laughs> and in a while, it'll be the second thing you said. So basically, um, what we do is we have a vehicle, and it's a, it's a kind of short, wide vehicle, um, almost tray-like, you could say. Uh, and the what we do is we build a vehicle up at Momentus, and our customers, so we could take anything up to, you know, from dozens of CubeSats to several microsats. They'll come to our facility. We integrate everything together. So we just basically stack them on our Vigoride tray. And then we transport that to the launch vehicle. Um, it gets launched, you know, like, like any other spacecraft. And once we're up there, we separate from the launch vehicle. And then we travel to each respective uh, location or orbit and drop, drop the customers off. So that's what we do today. 
Um, on our roadmap, you know, not not too far from now, in the next in the next couple of years or so, uh, we'll we'll start to tackle reusability. Um, and in that case, the um, the space tug will will just stay in space, and it'll have the water and the customers brought up to it. It'll dock, you know, refuel, uh, pick up the customers, and then take them, and then go back to some kind of uh, station keeping orbit, waiting for the next launch. Okay, great. And I mean, I know from kind of like the background reading that one of the kind of like um, main design drivers in spacecraft design is, you know, ultraviolet radiation and kind of like this quite harsh operating environment. So how long can a transfer vehicle actually remain in orbit, you know, and how many missions can it be reused for? Is there a, you know, is, is it just, you know, a handful or are we talking about tens of or maybe even hundreds of use cases? You know, what is the kind of like order of magnitude that we're looking at? Yeah, um, I don't know. Um, that's that's the short answer. I think if you look at um, typical spacecraft um, using commercial components, they, they can last five to ten years in orbit um, before radiation effects and, and maybe thermal effects get to them. Um, so that's, you know, that's one side of things. Um, then then, of course, we have solar rays. Um, and like you said, the, the radiation, the UV, the um, micrometeoroid particles all gradually um, attack the performance of the arrays. So they degrade over time. Um, but, but of course, you can just increase the initial size um, to, to, to increase the lifetime. So th there's a number of things that come into this. Um, and I think we'll, we'll just have to see, you know, one of the reasons you want to go to reusability is so so that um, you can save costs. You know, you have an asset that you've invested in and each time you reuse it, you um, you amortize the cost a little more. Um, but it, then if you if you spend too much money trying to make it reusable, then then that takes away from the whole point of doing it. So it's, it's really going to be something we study. I'd imagine we would keep these vehicles um, if, if I had to guess it'll be in that five to 10 year range. And they could probably, they may run um, customers every three or four months. So what's that four times 10, you know, maybe 20 to 50 rides, mm -hmm. something like that. Great. So I also saw on your webpage that you're, you know, currently developing or you've you've talked about a number of different vehicles um, that are that are on your roadmap. Um, and so you've said before that they'll all be using kind of like this water based propulsion system. But could you maybe explain, you know, some of the vehicles um, that are in development that you are considering and what their use cases will be? So I, I, I presume they're not all going to be used for transfer within a low Earth orbit. So what is kind of like uh, on the roadmap of Momentus? Yeah, I mean, a roadmap at a, at a high level is bigger and badder. Um, we start off with these small vehicles that weigh, you know, uh, 100, 200 kilos. Um, and, and these will take people around Leo. Um, the next ones, uh, they, they need to be bigger because they need bigger fuel tanks, bigger engine to, to achieve the higher delta Vs. And, and also they'll likely take slightly bigger passengers up to geostationary orbit and lunar. Um, and then, so, so the current vehicles are called Vigoride um, and they take sev several hundred kilos around LEO. The vehicles that would go up to geo and lunar are called um, Arderide. 
And then after that, we have, um, we're planning further ride uh, for development, um, I think probably about three years from now. Um, roll out, yeah, 20, I don't know, mid, early, early to mid 2020s. And that, that would carry a significant, significantly higher payload um, in the in the thousands of kilos. Great. So in terms of kind of like the the long term vision vision that you spoke to, at, you know, at the start of the conversation of, of your founder. So what is, you know, kind of like the grand vision is this that you're basically kind of like developing a vehicle that can be used, you know, for deep space exploration, maybe asteroid mining or, or, or something along those lines. Is, is that kind of like the grand vision? Yeah, we're, um, you know, that, that, that kind of thing gets us all very excited. Um, I think, you know, it's pretty easy to, to, to get excited by, um, by deep space mining and that kind of thing. Um, we see, you know, I, I see that, industry developing there already been a few companies that have that have t attempted to do that and, and we're getting closer and closer so we would like to um you know we're, we're kind of independent of who does what in space um what we do know is that there's a lot going on and that the industry is expanding continuously and that that people will need a, a basic infrastructure you know there's there are companies going up there providing communication systems just you know, not not for themselves, but just as a service to other spacecraft. And, and likewise, as, as the, the activity up there increases, people will need transport systems. So we'll provide those transport systems. And then we, we may break out into other kind of ancillary um, industries to uh, associated with this, where, where it makes sense. Yeah, that's actually a very good way of putting it. That's that's very enlightening. I mean, if you think about, yeah, you know, just travel around any city, you know, we have roads, we have buses, we have taxi services. Now we have things like Uber, private cars. So none of these things, you know, exist to any form of development uh, for space. So um, the way that you put it, that is that you're basically building, you know, critical infrastructure to build up a space economy is actually, uh, you know, I find a, a very um, apt way of putting it. Yeah, it's... Um... We're we're on the cusp of a new era here, and um, I think have a, having these transportation systems in place is a uh, is a marker of a you know a new level of development. Mm -hmm. So, what is basically the you know the current state of the project? You know, what are some of the things um, that we can look out for in in twenty twenty? Of course, we're currently in this kind of like lockdown um, situation, but in the near term future, um, what are some of the things to look out for um, from from Momentus? Yeah, so we um, we're still plotting away here. Um, we've we've cut down the people that can be in the office to you know to meet with local um, COVID guidelines and things. But we're 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 moving ahead, and and our launch schedule hasn't changed. So in December we're launching our actual first um, Vigoride vehicle. Um, that's going on a SpaceX launch with a with a number of customers. Um, in February um, next year, so two months later, we're launching the uh, upgraded version. So it's the it's the next gen version, which is um, about twice the size. And then we have two more launches next year of of the Vigoride system. And then hopefully, as um, you know, as as the current COVID uh, things ramp down, we'll be able to start focusing on on the next generation vehicles. Wow, well, it definitely sounds like you've got a very busy schedule coming ahead with a number of launches planned. Um, 
Well, Alex, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking to you. And I've, I've definitely learned a lot from speaking to you today. Just to kind of like a, a, a final closing question. So how can listeners stay up to date um, with your developments specifically, you know, kind of like the launches um, that are going to be coming up? Yeah. Um, well, as you might expect from a company in the Silicon Valley, we, we do a lot of uh, social media. So you can follow us on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, the, you know, the usual sources. And of course, our website as well. Okay, great. Well, it's been an absolute, absolute pleasure speaking to you, know, to you today. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I've, I've enjoyed it. If you would like to learn more about Momentus, then head over to aerospaceengineeringblog.com forward slash podcast, where you will find show notes about everything we discussed in today's episode. And if you enjoy the Aerospace Engineering Podcast, then there are a number of ways you can support it. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're tuning in. You can share it on social media with your friends and family, or you can support the podcast directly on Patreon. And with that, thank you very much for listening and talk to you next time.